Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Batter Welcome back to A Pod of Their Own. This is episode 67 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Surovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Kellyanne Healy. Hello, Kellyanne. Hello. And we are also joined by Elizabeth Muratori of Rising Apple. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Woo! Welcome. Yes, we are four strong this week, which is very exciting because there's a lot of Mets stuff to cover because it is now the winter meetings, but more on that later. The virtual winter meetings. The virtual winter meetings. Oh, yeah. Hot stove is heating up, friends. The winter zoomings, as I'll decide to call them. (laughs) But we'll start with- We're uh... taking our pants off. (laughs) I'm sorry. Kellyanne, I'm, I'm only on my second tonight. beer of tonight. Come on. <laughs> I have not been drinking, friends, at all. I'm completely sober. I am. I'm not even joking. It usually Sorry. takes at least one more for my pants to come off. But anyway, <laughs> this is this is this is a family friendly show. Um, <laughs> we'd no. like to start um, with introducing our listeners to Elizabeth. Uh, so, Elizabeth, how did you become a Mets fan? Are you born into it? Is it an acquired disease? You know. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess my, well, first of all, my, my dad grew up rooting for the Mets. He's from Queens, um, grew up about a mile from Shea Stadium, um, and his mom was a really big Brooklyn Dodgers fan before they moved to Los Angeles, and she became a really huge Mets fan after that, so he kind of got 
his fandom from her. And then I kind of got my fandom from him. You know, it, it makes me sound like a bandwagon fan, but I really started following the team closely around, I guess, the 2006 season. I'd been to a couple of games before that, but really in 2006, you know, as as you guys know, obviously, the team was kind of, I mean, that was one of the best teams that has been you know on the field in the last 20 or so years for the Mets. And they were kind of the, the talk of the town. You know, they were everywhere. My dad was watching all the games. He was really excited about the team that year. I just sensed, even as a, I guess I was in fourth grade at the time, even as a fourth grader, I just could sense that there was something really exciting happening on, you know, during these baseball games that he was watching every night. And I just kind of took an interest in watching with him. And, you know, I asked a lot of questions. He used to say that, or he says that I used to kind of chatter all the way through the games, um, which I I guess I still do to some degree. But (laughs) so I kind of started following that year. And then ever since then, you know, I've really, I, I guess my fandom's just kind of grown from there. You know, I gone to several games every year for for most years I guess obviously except for for 2020 and I just might I think feel like my love for the team has really just grown you know ever since ever since then I I've as we've all witnessed some really great Mets seasons since 2006 and some really terrible ones so it's it's been a really fun ride but and and I, I'm from um, Long Island as well so I've been fortunate enough to live um, right on the train line that goes to City Field so it's very easy to get to games from from my parents' house, um, which is where I'm staying right now during this uh, holiday quarantine time, and and yeah, so I I just you know become a really huge baseball fan. It's kind of been you know I made I made some really good friends through the writing I've done for of, you know, in the baseball world, but also it's definitely helped me bond with some other folks that I, I met at school as well. Yeah, I have one friend that I I text almost like almost every day about Mets stuff, and he he lives in Ohio, so it really it's just been a great addition to my life and it's something that's really central to a lot of my I guess I kind of live my year by the baseball calendar so to speak as I feel like a lot of baseball fans do so it's just a really big part of my life I just love the Mets and baseball is just my favorite sport and I, I love everything about it you have come to the right place yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I stumble into a football podcast by accident although I do like football as well but but yeah baseball is definitely my number one sport Aside from making all of us feel ancient by saying you were fourth grade in 2006. (laughs) Um, I was in high school. (laughs) I was in high school. Oh, my God. I was. Guys, I was in college. (laughs) Linda. Linda, you're old. No, so am I. I was in my senior year of high school then. Okay, right. a little better, but still, like, oh, excuse me, while I, like, pluck out my gray hairs. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm the second you. youngest on right now. I was, I was a sophomore in high school in 2006. Okay. Um, right. There was a recent... Allison, um, you're a baby. Yeah. Well, I'm 30 <laughs> now, so having a crisis, it's fine. You're welcome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to my 30s. Welcome to the 30s. Um, but there was a poll. It was funny, because, like... I was thinking about the 2006 season today because there was um, a poll going around from another fellow Mets podcast. The folks over at MMO have a podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. And their podcast account, yeah, tweeted a poll asking, like, if you could, like, basically give the Mets a ring from any of the following seasons, which one would Mm -hmm. it be? And it was 1999, 2000, 2006, or 2015, the years that the, the the most recent years that the Mets have gotten close. Um, And I picked 2006 from that because I think Mm -hmm. that I had a hard time with it because all of the, all of those teams were really fun for a whole bunch of different reasons. But, and 99, 2000, as, as Linda and Kellyanne can relate to, was kind of the time that like (laughs) I was coming up in my Mets fandom. Um, But Mm -hmm. that said, I still picked the 2006 season because I think that, 
it, A, it was just, like, the best Mets team I've ever seen, I think. And so, like, I just it think It was the most dominant team the I've seen in, yeah. like, day in, day out, yes. for sure. I mean, I know. That was kind of my first year following, so I don't remember as vividly. Um, I think I said the 2015 team for that poll just because, A, it was most fresh in my memory. And also because there's, you know, a few players on the current roster who were on that team. So And also it would have been really nice for, you know, Jacob deGrom and David Wright to, like, have both gotten a ring the same year. I mean, how... How different would kind of the narrative be since 2015 if they had actually won it all that year? Um, I mean, I, I think but... I think David Wright would have definitely retired after that season. Oh yeah, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. I, David Wright winning a ring was like the primary reason I picked 2006. Although obviously 2015 would have also achieved that. And I did like consider the fact that having Jacob Degrom have a ring would be pretty great. Although there is still time for that, folks. There's, There's still, still time. time yeah. you know? um, Thank you. <sighs> Thank there you is me. I think that was like a generational question because I grew up absolutely hating, hating the 90s Braves. So <laughs> just to see them finally, like if they had just gotten them at 99, mm-hmm. like just the narrative about how they could never beat the Braves would have been like completely changed. And like, you know, that was the first real time I experienced heartbreak, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sports heartbreak. So and just the like they were coming down from being 3-0 they were down 3 nothing, and then they beat rocker finally like it was just it was just like and just to lose the way they did uh, yeah i think the thing that pushed it over the edge that's more vivid in mind yeah the thing that pushed it over the edge for me for 06 was just the the idea of the nd chavez catch being the one of the most iconic plays Uh, in baseball history But it's see, that could be the Robin Ventura play, so good. too. True. That could be the Grand Slam single. Grand Slam right. single. I do feel like Grand Slam single has still achieved a level in Mets lore that the Andy, Andy yeah. Chavez catch has not quite achieved. And I think if, yeah, if they had won game. instead, the Andy Chavez right. catch would be like, oh my god, it would be like... The greatest a, play in team history. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be like a top top five if not top three moment in the history of the franchise yeah um, i wonder what Andy's up to these days I, feel, I wish the mets kind of engaged him more in their alumni activities i feel like fans who you know vividly remember that catch still i don't know i don't know independent like ball like two years ago or yeah oh, but he showed up at camp not too long ago i thought I was he was associated with the Mets organization in some Post. way in recent yes he, he is that. for the 2020 season he will serve as the bench coach bench coach of the class a advanced St. Lucie Mets. Okay. I remember hearing about him recently and being like, Oh, I wonder what he's been up to, you know? So, and he played indie ball. Like it was it 2019 or 2018. He played, he played like, Uh, I think he played Long Island ducks. Yeah. Um, I think so. He he was, uh, no, he was with the Somerset Patriots in 2018. 2018. That's why. No, don't, don't even talk to me about the Somerset Patriots. I'm still screaming oh, about that. Ugh. Um, and in, but in 2019, he returned to the Mets organization and was the new coach for the Brooklyn Psych- Cyclones. That's oh my right. god, I can't pronounce anything tonight. That's right. Okay. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Yes, I love having Andy back in the organization. It's great. Um, but. So, Elizabeth, how did you get into writing about the team? Obviously, you kind of grew up with your fandom. You developed it mostly during the 2006 season. It's been essential in your life ever since. But how did you start at Rising Apple? And, like, how did you find out about Mm -hmm. it? How did you get into that world? Yeah, sure. So, 
I actually started writing for Rising Apple um, last October. So it's been, I guess, a year and like two months since then. And I think it really dispersed out of, you know, the, tw- the 2019 season, even though the Mets didn't make the playoffs, was such a fun season to follow as a fan, especially in the second half. You know, I, I went to a lot of really fun games at City Field that summer. I went to the, uh, I was at the Conforto walk-off game <gasps> against the Nationals. So was I! Which, really? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, maybe I waved at you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I feel like... I just had so much fun following the team that summer and when the season was over and and obviously also with the whole Pete Alonso thing, his 53rd home run. And, you know, when the season was over and, you know, it kind of just ended and they obviously didn't make the playoffs that year either. I I was just kind of really sad about the season being over and I didn't really, I wanted to find a way to keep the Mets, you know, in my life throughout the off season beyond just following the news of what was happening on, you know, in the hot stove and all that. So I kind of just wanted a way to, channel you know the fun and energy that I had felt from the team all that season into some other activity and so I started thinking about how you know I really I've always really enjoyed writing English was always my favorite subject in school I minored in English in college as well and I really just love kind of expressing myself in through writing that's kind of my main my favorite medium I guess to to do that and I just started looking up I was thinking there must be some sort of you know fan driven baseball sites out there. I, I really just didn't know anything about the worlds of like fan sided or SB Nation or anything like that. So I just started Googling, you know, Mets websites written by with content written by fans and Rising Apple just came up. I don't even remember what I Googled to find it, but I saw that there was a link to apply to write for them. And so I basically just filled out the application. I also had to submit a um I guess sample piece. So I actually wrote a piece about going to that uh, Conforto walk-off game too, because that was relatively fresh in my memory of even having happened a couple months prior. Um, and then I just joined. I joined the team after that. I heard back like a few months, a few days later, um, that they had accepted me onto as a new writer on the team, which I was really excited about. And and yeah, so I've been writing for them ever since, which has been really fun. You know, I never really. It's funny. I. I mean, my dad and I have always watched games together and, and talk about the team all the time. And I've had a couple of individual friends here and there who I've become really close with, uh, uh, mostly because of our Mets fandom. But I never really had like a group chat to like just talk about the Mets with, you know. And there's right now we're up to almost 30 writers, I think, or 31 writers on our Rising Apple Slack chat. So there's a lot of conversation happening in there. And it's been a really great way to um a just write about all these different topics in Mets history learn more about Mets history as well and also keep up to date with what's happening in the current baseball landscape and also just have you know a kind of an outlet for talking about things that are happening in Mets world because like I said I never really had you know a huge group of friends that all avidly follow the Mets um and so yeah that's kind of inspired my my interest in in baseball writing um since then I also started writing for another site Girl at the Game as well. And um, and then recently I also started editing the newsletter for the Internet Baseball Writers Association of America. So I feel like my my writing for Rising Apple, I didn't at the time, I just really just wanted some outlet to kind of write about the Mets and, and keep the team top of mind throughout the offseason. But it's really spurred um, a genuine interest in pursuing baseball writing as much as possible for me. So it's it's definitely been a really great way to hone my craft, so to speak, but also just learn more about you know, all the different other, all the different topics to write about in, in Mets history and, and really just learn more about the art of baseball writing in general and how many kind of different angles you can take on a specific topic. So I've, I've really loved my time with them. 
You sound a lot like me. Like I found Amazing Avenue in 2015 just mm-hmm. because I was trying to find every article I possibly could about Jacob deGrom and that oh Amazing God. Avenue popped I, up. I've, I've, read, I've written probably like four or five articles about him alone for Rising <laughs> Apple. But there's so many different things to write about. There's all these different topics you could go with. So, yeah, so I found them and then I was like kind of lurking on the site for all of 2015 and then <laughs> I was like, wow, that was a really fun season. Let me apply to write. There and you go. 2016 yeah, exactly. was like awful. Um, I mean, they made the playoffs, but they weren't good that year. So like, no. like, was that kind of your experience? Like, were you frustrated this year? Like, like, so, you know, like we said, 2019 was so fun. You know, and then it was kind of a letdown. It was because I was in spring training, like spring training of 2020 before everything got shut down. I was feeling so optimistic about the Mets, genuinely for the first time and I don't even know how long, you know, I, I was just really excited about, you know, they had basically, except for Zach Wheeler, most of the main pieces of last year's team coming back. And yeah, I mean, I was just really pumped, especially with the energy from the younger players that kind of emerged during 2019 and they were all going to be here this season as well. I was really looking forward to a full season of Mets baseball in 2020 um, before obviously the COVID happened and then Syndergaard getting Tommy John surgery, which might've happened anyway. So who knows how the season, full season might have even gone without him. But yeah, I know I was very disappointed just because I had been kind of so amped after the 2019 season ended. And then seeing also how the Nationals were really not favored by anyone to go all the way and win the World Series. But they, their their team energy was, I mean, even as obviously NL East rivals, I was kind of inspired by how fun their team was to watch during the playoffs. And I was like, man, you know, that could have been us. It really could have. So I... Maybe next year, you know, next year, we'll see. But I I was definitely really excited for this year before everything got shut down. And then, obviously, the team wasn't that great during the 2020 season. During the 60 games, they didn't have hardly any starting pitching, so they didn't get that far. But I still enjoyed, I mean, even for the 60 games that we had, I, I still really enjoyed watching the Mets, even though the result on the field wasn't really what we wanted. But, again, it was such a weird year, such a weird season. I genuinely was just thankful to have some baseball to watch um so i do but, think yes, that it would have been interesting to see full season i do think 2019 is gonna is gonna it's hard to know without like the um without the benefit of like being able to look retrospectively at it without the benefit of hindsight but i do really think that 2019 is gonna go down as like one of the more fun non-playoff seasons in the franchise's mm-hmm. history, just because mm-hmm. I think that people are going to have that nostalgia about like, oh, like it, it was right before COVID and there were all these fun games in the mm-hmm. second half. And right. like, like yeah. just remembering, like right now I'm just sitting here remembering like what a rockin' ballpark sounds like and just like missing that uh, yeah. so acutely. And like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like 2019 yeah. is going to be nostalgic for a long time because of that. Because even though eventually, obviously, the fans are going to come back into the ballpark, whether that be sometime in 2021 or after that. But like 2019 is going to be like, you know, back when everything was nice in the before times. Yeah, exactly. And well, it was, yeah, it was Some such a... I was going to say, it was so, it was capped off by Dominic Smith's walk-off home oh, run. Yeah. And that just, like, put it such a nice, happy cap on this season, even though we didn't make it to the playoffs. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah, and some Oops. good things did happen. I mean, we had, like, Pete Alonso's rookie season. Um, Duran won the Cy Young again. I mean, there were there were plenty Debate. of highlights, even season-end highlights from the 2019 season. 
even though the team didn't make the postseason. So they're probably right. still one of my all time favorite teams because they just were so fun. Like they finally had some personality to them. Right. Um, you know, like you said, there was history involved and it was just like we said, it was just nice being at the ball bar. Yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> cookie club. Like that was oh, cool. yeah, the cookie club. They better bring that back. I was really oh, they hoping they bring it back during the off season. Maybe they will in like spring training or January or something. But that means they need to get right Don't trade my man's <laughs> keep the cookie club. Keep the cookie don't break up the cookie club. Don't break up no, the No, don't let club. the cookie club crumble. We need to hurt here. I was going to say, Linda, don't come in the comment section on AA. Don't do oh, it. Man. Um, like Linda and Elizabeth were both saying, I feel like their stories of coming to Amazing Avenue or like or Rising Apple um, are very similar to how I came to Amazing Avenue. Um, I feel like my timeline is almost the exact same as Linda's, but like ever so slightly like off from Linda's. Although I, I think I, ca- <laughs> I actually came to like read Amazing Avenue before Linda, but I started writing after Linda. So yeah. Um, It was kind of the same thing that Elizabeth was talking about where like I always I grew up with I grew up watching the Mets with my dad and, um, you know, always talked about the games with him, had that bond with him. And he and I always chatted baseball. And I had like one or two friends that were Mets fans, but like I really didn't have like a big solid community of like super um, baseball fans. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved um, and then in college, like, I didn't get the games except when they played the Phillies, because I went to University of Delaware, so, like, the Phillies were in market there, but the rest of it was not, and so, um, I could watch them, like, 18 times a year, but other than that, not really, and so, but then when I moved away for, to grad school, and I was finally, like, making money <laughs> for the first time, I was able to buy MLB.TV, and, um, and, but I had no one to talk about baseball with, aside from my, like, I would call my dad on the phone, and we'd talk about it, but, like, I really felt like I didn't have much of a like Mets fan community anymore and it was such a big part of my life and so I was feeling like kind of lonely and grad school can be isolating in many regards um so I was kind of feeling like oh I need I need an outlet I need somebody to talk about this with and the 20 and the 2015 Mm -hmm. season happened and that was when I actually jumped into the comment section so like I started grad school in 2013 and then kind of the 2014 season is when I started like reading Amazing Avenue just to like keep up to date but I wasn't really involved in the community in any way I was just reading the site um and then 2015 was happening and I was like wow this is such a fun season so exciting like come on I have no one to talk about this with and so that's (laughs) when I started uh being involved in the comment section and that was during the second half of 2015 when they were making their run and then I got really close with people in the comment section and then Kellyanne I, I give her full credit she encouraged me to write and so um, I applied to write, and then I became a writer. In I spent a long time work, like being a, an active commenter, probably like two years, and then I started oh, wow. writing in 2017, I believe. Is when I started writing. I think it was 20. I want to say it was 2016. Maybe. I'm gonna correct oh, you on I think that. it was. No, it was the year after me. I when was, was my very first article for Amazing Avenue was when they extended Sandy Alderson. Um, so mm. whenever that was, when when Sandy Alderson was GM and they gave him the contract extension, that was my very first article. So, and it was yeah. December. Uh, I so maybe it was... it's December 16? December. Well, no, that was, that was 2017. 20, December 2017. Yep, that was it. December okay. 2017. Actually, we're, we, yeah, so we are now approaching my three-year 
anniversary of writing Enemies and Avenue. Oh. And like Elizabeth said, it's like, it was so, it's so nice to find this community and like just mm-hmm. every day being able to chat with like a whole close group of friends now in, um, mm-hmm. in the Slack and just the relationships that I formed are just beyond what I ever imagined um, when I first started. So it's, it's just really cool that we get to, the, the Mets blogging community is just unmatched, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just Very wasn't aware true. before I started writing how many different like Mets websites and podcasts there There's were. So I mean, many. there's this whole there's this whole world out there that I just had no idea about till like last year. But they're really, you know, the the harder you, the more you look, they're really the more people. You're right, there are to to interact with and collaborate with on different things, and you know, all the different sites. I feel like I almost wish the different Mets fan sites like did more interactions and collaborations. I feel like that would be fun too. So. It would just because yeah. we're so, we are such a multifaceted fandom. Right. Um, and, and I don't think people at large realize how expansive it is. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Trevor mm-hmm. May did just say he thinks we have the mo- the Mets fandom has the most podcasts. I was just going to say that, Linda, because it's Trevor a perfect May. segue into our Mets news. I know. I, his press conference got me really hyped for for this upcoming season. I was I have to say I I didn't really know much about him before the signing, but the what I heard from him during the press conference and from everything he said since then, he seems like he fits right in. So I'm really excited about him. Yeah, Trevor May. Um, Trevor May did say because Trevor May is like more online than most. I feel like than most baseball players. He just yeah, he's a Twitch streamer. Yeah, he does Twitch stuff. stuff. Um, so like you know, he he interacts with the fans a lot online, and so he said on one of his Twitch streams, like I think the Mets have the most podcasts of like anything I've ever seen, <laughs> um, which is so true. So if you if you guys missed it, uh, which I'm sure you didn't, but the Mets have made their first like major signing. The Mets have made a few minor league signings and like kind of fringe signings as well. Um, but their first major signing was signing uh, reliever Trevor May, who's like a setup, who is a setup man, um, to a two-year, fifteen million dollar deal, which is really exciting because the bullpen, um, while it does have like a lot of pieces in it already, it really needs like at least one more big arm, and Trevor May is that right. for sure. Yeah, I kind of been saying this on. Um, I wrote an article recently about. Um, I forget exactly what it was about, but basically I, I was writing, writing recently about how, you know, if there's one thing I've learned from the this year's playoff teams is that you really can never have enough good bullpen arms. I mean, the Rays and Dodgers both had, were like eight guys deep in their bullpen of like quality, like strikeout arms. And so the more of those guys the Mets can get, the better. They they can't survive with just Seth Lugo and like 
praying for an eight inning start. I mean, that's just not going to work. So <laughs> I'm I'm hopeful that there hopefully when more moves to come, the bullpen can definitely still be uh, further bolstered. But this is a great start. It's frustrating that Jairis Familia and Dylan Batanzas were both so poor last year because, mm-hmm. like, those are two arms that they should be able to rely upon. And if if those guys can get back to the pitchers that they have been in the past, then that's a pretty good bullpen they've got right now um, without doing anything right. else. But that said, they I think that the Mets realize that they can't necessarily rely on either of those two to be the eighth inning guy, even though they have been in the past. So they went and got that eighth inning guy. Um, it remains to be seen whether Seth Lugo will be starting or in the bullpen. Um, I think it depends on what else they do this offseason. Um, but being able to have Lugo in the bullpen alongside Trevor May and then Edwin Diaz, uh, who mm-hmm. did have a bounce back 2020 despite everything, um, would be a pretty good, would be a pretty solid bullpen um, with, you know, um, Brad Brock potentially, Robert Gazelman sort of rounding things yeah. out um, in middle relief. I don't, I don't know about Gastelman, you guys. I have to say, I feel like he's, he was bad. He might have overstayed yeah. his welcome, in my opinion. I mean, look, I wish him well for the rest of his career. I just, I just don't know. I feel like we may, we've seen the best of him, and like, I, I, I'm not sure what they can really rely upon him for. And I mean, granted, this year, you know, he was injured for part of it. He was injured at the end of 2019, so who knows? But I, I'm not counting on him, in my mind, to be in the bullpen or a quality arm for the Mets next like- year. Was it Mickey Calloway? I think he like completely overused him, and he just hasn't done the same since. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that they torched be. him because like he's yeah. it's, he has the same issue with Seth Lugo where like oh he can pitch multiple innings, so like the Mets suddenly are like oh let's do that every day, and it's like no you can't he's actually. A rubber do that. Arm. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not a rubber arm. And like no. in 2019, I mean uh, in 2020, they they forced him to start, which is what they did to Lugo oh. too. But Lugo's oh a little more used to it because he was a starter more recently than Gazelman was, and so Gazelman as a starter was and a disaster. And he was just coming off injury too. Right, like he had one bullpen. It didn't appearance. make any sense. <laughs> and then after that one bullpen appearance, which went fine. They're like, okay, now go join the rotation. So he was not stretched out at all. He was injured, made one bullpen appearance, and then was forced to start. So his he was just totally abused last year. Yeah. So it's like he very mel he very well may be you know Dunzo as far as his career as like a, a a like viable major leaguer. I would not be surprised if that's the case. However, he was not exactly put in the best position to succeed last year. No, certainly not. The imagination. No. So, I mean, he was tendered a contract, but um, unlike the previous regime, like we've said on previous pods, I think that this regime, it still remains to be seen if they will be more inclined to eat sunk cost when they see it and so mm-hmm. they've tendered they've tendered gazelman for example i feel like under will pond mets that would have meant that he just was penciled into the bullpen right away but i don't think that that would necessarily be the case here he's not making that much money it's like 1.3 million dollars some odd and so i think the way that sandy alderson and steve cohen see it is like you know why not buy a 1.3 million dollar lottery ticket hope that he's the robert gizelman of old <laughs> and that would be like fine for you know middle relief um but if he looks like 2020 version of robert gizelman in spring training they can just cut him um well there's the whole thing where the pitching staff is turning over and i think depending on who they hire 
that we'll probably see improvement, hopefully, from everybody except Jacob Degrom, who's just the god, the god. Um, hard to improve upon Jacob Degrom. <laughs> unless he, unless he, unless he learns a knuckleball, that's like <laughs> the only way he can improve. Jacob Degrom, if you're listening to this, I challenge you to do that. I'm sure he would do it. Challenge accepted. He never turns down a challenge. Uh, That's true. He'll say he'll have a press conference in spring training and be like, all right, like last year we're disappointing. I need to get better next year. Not only will I win the Cy Young, but I'll do it with a knuckleball. And he's going to go do it. You know, that's just what he does. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so other I think the... like, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Kellyanne. I was going to say, I think Gazelman's a bounce back candidate. Matt's is, Matt's is a big bounce back candidate. Um, I know people have lost a lot of faith in him, but I don't know if it's sentimentality. I think this year was such a big anomaly. So I think he's not going to definitely not going to be as bad as he was this year. Um, again, it's going to depend on the pitching coaches. Maybe he doesn't listen to the pitching coaches. What do I know? But I think he's definitely going to be better than he was in 2020. I mean, he was literally the worst pitcher in baseball. So he yeah. yeah, kind of impossible to, to be worse. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, maybe this is a hot take, but I'm kind of even more down on Steven Matz than Gazelman right now. I just, like, he just looked like a dude that forgot how to pitch last year. Like, he just looked like, uh, and his he body language was so bad on the mound. Like, every pitch he threw, he just, like, hung his head and, like, oh, it just was so painful to watch Steven yeah, well, Matz pitch last year. Apparently he's been working with Phil Regan, so... Who, That's good. I mean, I so hopefully I don't know what that'll do. He seemed to have the magic touch in the second half of 2019 with the Mets rotation, so maybe that'll set him right. Hopefully, I hope so because I would love to see him succeed again. It would be nice, even if it's even if it's in a bullpen role. Obviously, we'll see what the Mets do with their pitching staff in the winter meetings and beyond. But um, the Mets do not have any. Like I think what Stephen Matz is saving grace is, is that the Mets do not have any left-handers on their staff and so it's yeah. kind of just like well you're left-handed well so. I, I guess and yeah, yeah, I, mean, I guess except for David can. Peterson you're right yeah yep that's really it only, yeah because Wilson is a free agent so yep. Justin Wilson one of the only few uh good signings Brody Ben Wagon made um but... and a non-tender tree well, so they don't have any other. They they don't have any like any lefties in the bullpen at the moment. Yeah, so. like zero, literally zero. So we'll have to see. Um, I mean, the loogie is dying, so because of the new rules. So we'll see if that even matters that they don't have a lefty. But you know, um, so the winter meetings are upon us. The Mets have signed Trevor May, but made no other major moves. Although, um, I was before before we started recording, we were kind of like, oh, are we going to get to break breaking news on the pod because. Um, the Met, the the George Springer to the Mets rumors are becoming hotter by the moment. Um, it has not yet happened, but a lot of um, a lot of the major um, national writers are, you know, saying that. I, I last night, late last night, Buster Olney said something like he would bet the fam- his family's farm in Vermont that the Mets end up with Springer, and then. <laughs> Just uh, a couple hours ago, um, Jeff Passan said that he he's joining only on the George Springer to the Mets train, and he thinks that the Mets are the favorites to land Springer. So there's just there's a lot of heat around the Mets and George Springer, which is really exciting. Um, I mean, you know, if you would talk to me going into this off season of like which of the major like major free agents I would have liked the Mets to acquire, I probably would have picked 
JT Real Muto and a lesser mm-hmm. center fielder like a Jackie Bradley. If I had to choose, obviously Real Muto and Springer would be ideal. But if I had to not be greedy and just pick one or the other, I probably would have picked Real Muto and a slightly lesser center fielder rather than McCann plus Springer or something in that nature. But McCann plus Springer certainly ain't bad <laughs> at all. For so. sure. I mean, yeah. we are shopping in the gourmet section now, as Alderson said. So who yes. knows what'll happen? It's a big improvement. I mean, that's and I'm kind of like floating this. I'm getting ahead of ourselves, our, ourselves in the segment. But the fact that there are so many teams saying, "Oh, we don't have money. We lost so much money," and the Mets aren't saying that. Yep. Like. I still can't wrap my head around what do with <laughs> I'm still like, wait, no, this isn't real, is it? Well, but I still see Mets fans being like, well, you know, we could save a million dollars if we don't sign this guy. And then other people commenting, being like, wait, we don't have to worry about saving a million dollars anymore. Like, yeah. that's not the mindset we have to have. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's, and it's, Cano, it's so weird. Yeah, like when Cano, like, got suspended, it was nice saying, like, oh, they can spend that money now instead of, well, that's going to the Wilpons' debt. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Canceling yeah. Luis Guillorme at second base. <laughs> like, wow, they can actually do something now. Yeah, it was like, I was I was just talking before, like, right before podcasting, I was, I was just talking to Michael about this, and I was like, um... I was like, I'm because I was talking to him about like, oh, well, it would have been nice to have real Muto and Springer, but Springer is great. And I was like, I'm so spoiled that I even get to say this. Am I already spoiled like two months in? Like, yes. am I already spoiled? Because like, if this had been a Wilpon offseason, Trevor May would have been the signing. Like that would have been like the big signing. Exactly. And maybe a pitcher. Yeah. Like a mid-tier, like a Tanaka, Quintana sort of thing. And that would have been like it. <laughs> Um, yeah. so it's nice that we it even get had, to talk yeah, about exactly. this. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I mean, like George Springer is a really freaking good player. Um, and it'll be exciting to see like a real center fielder again of <laughs> the Mets haven't had that in quite a while. So it would be really cool to see an actual center fielder playing center field. Fancy that. That would be um, fantastic. But, um, that said, the Mets are, so it, it doesn't seem to be stopping them from being the center of the rumor mill or, like, making signings, but it, it is worth noting that the Mets are indeed going into these winter meetings this week without a general manager, um, which it may not seem like from the outside fan perspective that that matters all that much because all you're seeing on Twitter is like Mets in on this guy, Mets in on this guy, but it does have an impact when you don't have a full blown front office operation um, going on. It does, it does impact your ability to evaluate players and make these signings, especially like it's, it's less impactful for like the Springer and like the big contracts that are like somewhat obvious that like fill a big need on your roster. And these are like, you know, kind of no brainers. Like, the four, like the four of us, could be like, yes, sign George Springer. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty <laughs> obvious. But like, you That's know, easy peasy. Yeah, like, but like these moves on the fringes that are often done during the winter meetings and kind of fly under the radar. Like the Mets made a minor league signing, like just now, like the other, like a few, like was it today or yesterday? Yeah, they signed another Trevor today. Another Trevor. Yeah, the Mets seem to have the market cornered on Trevors. Hopefully, they don't. Uh, Trevor held it. No, we don't want them to corner the market. I'm I all know, Trevor. but they they're, no. they're working toward it. I hope that that doesn't mean <laughs> Trevor Hildenberger. Yes, Trevor Hildenberger, who followed me back on Twitter. So shout out to Trevor Hildenberger. Heck yeah. Nice. Um, side armor. Ooh, I like those. He's a side armor and he seems to have good Twitter likes, which I appreciate. Um, 
So the true Trevor with great Twitters. Yeah, we like I'll, Trevor's I with like, good Twitters, not the other kind. <laughs> I just like. I just like Trevor May. Also, sorry, it wasn't the other Trevor like you thought it was. I'm like, no, you are <laughs> you don't care. superior Trevor. We let's, want let's, you. <laughs> we want like, you. Totally fine. <laughs> totally fine with you, Trev. We're happy with you. And your chicken cutlet sandwich. <laughs> uh, yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, relatable content. But I'm just like, I don't know. I don't. With the whole front office situation, it's kind of like, we were having like a back and forth on the Slack about this and I was thinking about it and like how like how worried are we that they don't have a GM? How troubling is this whole like they keep getting turned down by guys? And I don't think it's because like the Mets are not an attractive like place to be right now. I think that that is pretty clear. They're under new ownership. Everyone's excited about the direction they're going in. But COVID plays a role here. The And we'll get to this in a little bit, but the general like executives being scared off by like owners who actually want to win plays a role here and like but how concerning is it that you know they might not get a gm for a while and it's like this should have been pretty easy and yet it's shaping up to be a more difficult process than they anticipated i mean i I I think they're aiming high with who they were hoping to get i mean they were looking at you know mike turnoff from the indians they were looking at well-respected front offices with and their executives who I guess the teams need to give either give approval for them to interview elsewhere or what have you but I I think they've been aiming high with who they've been looking at so far um and so you know that that may not have worked out for them but but I don't think that necessarily a that doesn't mean that there's no other good candidates out there there's still a chance that you know people like Billy Owens people have been talking about as a potential candidate he hasn't been ruled out by any means so that could still be a possibility um and, you know, I mean, hopefully that means that they're not just going to hire someone's agent to be the next GM. I mean, if they're giving them <laughs> right. a decent amount of thought, I, tried that I, experiment I, I think failed. that goes better rather than worse for who the actual GM will end up being. So I'm not really – and also they have Sandy Alderson right now who seems to be kind of running the show on the baseball ops side. So I'm not really worried that they don't have, like, a competent baseball mind making moves during the winter meetings. They definitely do. So if that's the case, then – Hopefully, then they get a good. Hopefully, they get a good GM, whoever that ends up being. I'm not so concerned that that will hold them back, just because they have plenty of baseball acumen in the front office at the moment that can make decisions. Well, I think you know. I think we said this on Slack too, um, where Steve Cohen comes from the hedge fund background. So, like, if he sees talent, he can be like, "I want that guy," and like, you just throw money at him, and it happens. And that's not how it works in baseball. Like, you might want, like, somebody's front office guy, but if, like, the Brewers with Stearns, but if they don't let you interview him, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, no amount of money you can throw at him is going to make him be able to be on your team or um, in your organization. So maybe it's just taking Cullen... Because when he interviewed with Steve Gelbs, he seemed yeah, he surprised. <laughs> yeah, he seemed surprised at how hard it was to find somebody. So it may be just being him, like, just getting his feet wet and trying to figure it out. And, again, that's where Sandy comes in to kind of guide him. Like, this is the process. This is how we do things or how you have to do things. So it might just take a while since he's just so new it does yeah cohen's like used that, to being like ah yes but what if i just paid you more than everyone else <laughs> i mean and that's and that's the whole thing and i think also many other teams front offices are wary of is that 
he's not crying poor. He's not saying, oh, the Mets lost all this money and we have to make cuts. He's doing the opposite. He gave retroactive pay. Um, as far as I'm aware, no one has been dismissed or laid off. Um, so, yeah, he has definitely, I think, his financial freedom, let's say, um, is pissing off a lot of, not like publicly, but it's really pissing off a lot of front offices behind the scenes. I mean, not, I, I don't think anybody has, uh, any of the executives they've been looking at for GM have gotten permission to, for the, but, oh my God, I can't speak tonight. Um, they have not gotten permission to speak to the Mets or to interview with the Mets. So it's just like, the Marlins president of baseball ops that got that like I I don't know if they had to get permission but he interviewed and Billy Owens obviously is another so those are kind of just the two guys that the Mets have talked to that the teams have allowed them to where they've been open to it and and Chris Young but Chris Young decided to stay in Texas for family reasons because that's where he lives and he just wants to stay there and so like Steve Cohen's billions could not pry him away and I think that COVID has something to do with that too like People yeah. just don't want to move right now. It's hard. Um, but, yeah, Kellyanne's not wrong. Like, it is it is frustrating to see, like, obviously we all got really excited by Steve Cohen's presser as fans, and we should be excited because when a, an owner straight up says, I'm not in this for the money and I want to win the World Series in the next three to five years, like, as a, pan, as a fan, hell yeah, that's going to pump you up. But, like, it's frustrating to see executives react in a frustratingly predictable way to that. Um, and to see, like, Andy Martino on TV being like, Ugh. winning a World Series isn't a reasonable goal for a baseball team. He yeah. said that exact well, quote. We, I haven't heard, Why? I mean, there have been no, like, released statements from executives saying this, so who knows what, what they're actually saying. I mean, I I do think that, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think, Cohen's comment was, seemed to me, very, like, off the cuff and not, like, a serious kind of, ultimatum so I, I don't really see why and I think a lot of Mets fans reacted this way I, I don't really see why a promise of or a striving for success in the not even extremely near future right he didn't say if we don't win the World Series next year I'm gonna fire the GM he didn't say that right. so I don't see why anything I don't see why anything he said should be remotely you know of a turnoff for a potential GM candidate in any way and if it were as Cohen said himself the Mets probably don't want him anyway or yeah her, exactly so. that's why I don't get why Martino is out here saying this stuff. I mean, in addition to it, just it's Andy so, Martino. Well, someone has to be a contrarian. He stirs the pot. I mean, you know, I don't always agree with things he says, but people do react to him. So yeah, it's true. He gets engagement on his stuff. Andy Martino claims that a GM and president of this is like later in the same quote. He wrote. He said, "Winning a World Series isn't a reasonable goal for a baseball team. It's a nice thing to have happen." But a GM and president of baseball operations are more interested in putting a good process in place. And it's kind of like, this is so like, oh, to win the World Series. Yeah, exactly. This is so like, oh, trust the process. Like, haven't we been through this already? Like, yes, love to wear my payroll flexibility jersey to the ballpark. Like cash considerations, Jersey's gonna get a, lot, a big workout next year. Yeah, like God, um, it's just such a frustrating thing to see. And like you said, Elizabeth, who knows if like executives, because no executives have given these types of quotes, right? This is Martino just like 
you know, saying that that's what he thinks executives are thinking. But like, you know, if that's if that's really their thought process, then we don't, then one, we don't want them here. And two, what a disappointing thing for baseball. Like, what a sad way to think about it. But there's 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 evidence of it, though, in other ways. Like, it isn't necessarily like the executives have come out and said this, that the Mets are scaring them off. And again, like, this is more a thing that Cohen was saying for the fans. It's not a threat to fire the GM if they don't accomplish the goal that Steve Cohen has put out Exactly. There. Um, this is something to get the fans fired up, which he should do, and which the fans are fired up. But it's... It, you know, there's other, but there's other evidence of this across baseball. Like, for example, the Philadelphia Phillies in our very own division. Um, as much as we like to cackle at their failure, um, the fact that they are even floating, and there are contradictory reports about out there about this. You know, the the baseball writers keep saying that this is the case, um, but the Phillies are saying no, 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 we don't want to trade him. But the fact that there's even rumors that the Phillies are willing to trade Zach Wheeler immediately after signing him to that contract is is, you know, a mess on their end. And between that and not even attempting to retain Real Muto and all the quotes from McPhail about how they're not spending this offseason, their, their rebuild has been kind of a failure by all measures. Um, kind, and, of. <laughs> kind of. Um, kind of. So kind like the, of. Kind of. The Phillies are out here floating Zach Wheeler, like not even attempting to retain their star catcher, saying they're not going to spend money this offseason. Every single team in the godforsaken NL Central is either cutting payroll or in full, full rebuild. Um, and the Rays, who were literally in the World Series, um, are open to trading Blake Snell, decline Charlie Morton's option. Like there's all these, again, like frustrating trends of the McKinseying of baseball out there that make me sad. Well, and then also, uh, who was it who gave the quote the other day um, from the Red Sox uh, saying um, that was just an anomaly. We're not the fourth worst team in all baseball. And it's like, well, what'd you expect? Like you had Mookie Betts. Like maybe if you had Mookie Betts, that wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, Yeah, like maybe if you tried. If you tried to re-sign him, maybe you wouldn't be in the sticky situation you are in this yeah, past like, year. This is the direction you Ugh. purposely chose to go in. So you can't and, now all of a sudden just claim, oh, no, that 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 wasn't an anomaly. No, that's what you wanted. Yep. I mean, but I think I think the race open, being open to like trading or letting people go, I don't think that's a symptom of this year because we've seen in the past – Teams that have won this the World Series completely like screw up the next year. I'm thinking I'm thinking of, of the immediate Washington Nationals, which I think they came in last place in our division this year. The Mets um, if tied I, with them. The Mets tied with them. They did. Unfortunately. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, I'm going to check this right now. Oh man! Yeah, no, they did. They should. Sure Trust oh. me, we could not make it out of the basement. Trust me, as a DC resident, I I keep close tabs on making sure the Mets are doing better than the Nationals at all times. Mm. Uh, and yeah, they we ended up tying oh. for them, which made me more mad than it should have. Because honestly, like obviously the season was lost pretty early on, but just like it's an optics thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Come but, on. But anyway. Um, they're the most immediate immediate example of completely falling apart after winning a World Series. The Royals were another team to do mm-hmm. that in 2015. Um, the only 
two that I have seen kind of be consistent are the Dodgers uh, and the Astros. <laughs> um, and I add that because, A, we know the Astros cheated, and B, there's some unconfirmed speculation that the Dodgers were also cheating. So, yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily... Um, I don't know what the end of that thought's going to be. But I mean, the Dodgers, I don't as think far as like a front I don't office. Think that's successful. It's not a successful process. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, putting a good process together. Process. Putting a good process <sighs> in place. Very important. But like, yeah, and I mean, like, there were also, and we didn't talk about this part, but there were also all the non tenders of prominent players that took place. So like, mm-hmm. people, people are citing that the overall people thought that there would be a huge spike in non-tenders this season because teams are are claiming that they lost all this money due to coronavirus so people were nervous that like non-tenders would go up across baseball and what it, what turned out to happen was that the overall number of non-tenders didn't go up as much as people thought in fact it stayed pretty stagnant but the names that were non-tendered were far more prominent than usual so players like Adam Duvall, Archie Bradley, yeah, Kyle Schwarber. Mm-hmm. It was really like kind of shocking to see. And like Eddie Rosario cleared ra- cleared mm-hmm. waivers. Like good players that are should be worth their arbitration salaries are, you know, being non-tendered. And that is the troubling thing. It's not the overall trend of like how many players in aggregate. It's like which players are being non-tendered and it's the expensive ones. Um, that are actually good players <laughs> that shouldn't Even be. Even Chris Bryant's name was floated. He ultimately wasn't. But the fact that you can consider non-tendering Chris Bryant, the fact that it was plausible, was worth. Yeah, was. Yeah. And they're oh still open God. to trading him as well. And the Rockies are dangling no Arenado in trade. It's like, like the fact that like these teams are willing to trade their franchise players. The fact that Lindor is almost certainly Lindor, I was just going to say, yeah, is upsetting. Like you want, like give, and I think I've said this on this very podcast in the past, but if there is one damn thing in this whole world that I will give the Wilpons credit for, it is the fact that I do not think that they would have ever pulled something like that with David Wright or another franchise player. No. Um, mm-hmm. even though they did the whole, like, not a superstar thing with David Wright, which is a whole other thing. But, like, right. if anything, you need to retain your franchise players. You need to retain your oh. franchise players. And the Mets have historically done that. Well, we yes, were even made, saying... made the attempt to. Yeah, well, we were saying in 2019 how fun that team was, and it was basically almost all homegrown players. It was yep. Alonzo, it was McNeil, it was Nimmo, it was Conforto, it was DeGrom, it was Dom Smith. And so they were just, it was all people, like, you see them grow up. You see right, them go exactly. through the minors, and then you see them, like, the fruits of their labor, and it's just fun. At Stephen A. Cohen to extend Michael Conforto, please. Thank you. Please. Oh my God. Yes. Like that's the. I'm, ho- I'm hopeful that will happen this off season. I don't know when. Maybe maybe in later. Maybe in January, February. I don't know. But like that everyone's would be great. talking Springer. Everyone's talking Real Muto. Everyone's talking the big free agents. I am talking about extending Michael Conforto because that is on my, <laughs> that's pretty that damn high on my wish list this off season. That yes, I think, but like. 
aside from signing all like the players we need to sign going kind of back for a second to the GM topic. Um, I just don't want to see like the GM. I want to see a well-developed scouting system. I don't know if that's in place. It seems like it's not at the moment. Certainly not um, self-scouting. No. Mets, like don't know. The Mets are disturbingly bad at knowing their own system and their own players. And yeah, the minor league development leaves a lot of room to be desired. I mean, they've, yes. done, they've done a good job of scouting potential draft picks, but in terms of, I mean, people have talked about how the Mets have had a lot of top-tier draft talent that has come up to the major leagues in recent years and just been unprepared, I guess, for yes. the MLB. I mean, people talked about that with Ahmed Rosario in 2017. You know, he was like the top prospect in all of baseball, and when he came up, he didn't look it. And so that, I think, owes a lot more to the Mets' minor league development of players and not necessarily their, you know, scouting of players from afar because it, people have got, they've gotten a lot of credit in recent years for their drafting. So, But it's a matter of once you draft those players, how were they developed and nurtured in the minor leagues to be successful at the major league yes. level? So that could definitely be improved. And Agree. being and willing that's... to, like, invest money in, like, installing a damn track man. Like... Things that the Wilpons seemed <laughs> completely unwilling to do, like even small investments in technology to like have better internal metrics for player evaluation are just like things that they clearly did not prioritize that the rest of baseball has like wised up to a long time ago. Especially with the position players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with the position players. Well, we've been said this on this podcast a few a few podcasts ago. Um, how like everybody's like, oh, well, how do the Cardinals keep finding good players? Like, no, they don't. They just develop them. Develop yeah, with the them, Dodgers well. too. Everyone the Dodgers yeah. brings up is like ready to go and like an all star in their rookie season. You know, how do they do it? They there must be. They clearly have a well oiled machine there, and that's what the Mets should aspire to. Yes, absolutely. And yes. and we talked about this with you know signings around the fringes in the winter meetings, and yeah, if and the that, Mets were better at that was this, my point on that one. If the Mets were better at this, they wouldn't need to do these things. But as things stand right now, they have no depth in the high minors to fill out the bullpen and cycle those guys in when guys get hurt or guys are ineffective or things like that. Every other, like, smart organization in baseball has, like, five or six random AAA relievers that are at least, like, competent that they can cycle through in the major leagues. The Mets never seem to have that. They always have to, like, go out and, like, freaking trade some prospect for a for like Wilmer font (laughs) or whatever the latest version of Wilmer (laughs) font is and like it's really frustrating that they have to do that constantly instead of developing they shouldn't be trading for those guys you're right absolutely and how many like Joey Batses have come through in the Cabrera remember him the Mets had him last year Guillermo Heredia is literally on this team now folks Hey, you know what? He did more in his like three days as Met than Jed Lowry did. Like, <laughs> oh my god! He, got, he at least got a hit. He got like three hits. So you know what? Got, like, I got no Heredia slander on the podcast. I no Heredia. <laughs> we stand Guillermo Heredia. I would rather have him than, than Jed Lowry. Honestly, I know it's not a choice between the two, but he wears he number fifteen, catch, I think, so I stand. Point. Yes, he yeah, did. All right. That's right. He made a good catch. He hit a home run. He's done enough in my book. There we go. <laughs> But even so, like, you should not be scouring the waiver wire, picking up, like, people that nobody wants and just hoping they're productive. And signing them to $30 million contracts. Right? <laughs> yep, yep. And I mean, like, it's it's fine if you can do that well. And occasionally, like, you know, like, Chase and Shreve was an example where that was a success last year. Like, they, 
you know, they picked him up essentially off the garbage heap, and he he pitched a lot of quality innings for them last year. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah, is I fine to do. Yeah, I bring it back. <laughs> yeah, and then they non-tendered him. But that is fine to yeah. do, and you can do that every once in a while, but you shouldn't have to be doing that to, like, panic plug holes that have suddenly emerged <laughs> all the time. Right. Um, but yeah, as far as like all the, you know, frustrating, um, trends across baseball, Bradford William Davis of the New York Daily News actually wrote an excellent column about this recently that I will link in the show notes and in the, um, in the tweets for this episode. Um, it's called MLB's uncuffing season is a head scratcher for some, a no brainer for others. So he kind of summarized all this really well that we've kind of been talking about. Um, so you should read that if you haven't, it's a good piece. Um, but yeah, um, the one last thing that I would like to cover before we move on to happier topics in walk-off wins is just I want to acknowledge um, Dick Allen, who was a, you know, a legendary player um, who passed away this week. Um, really sad um, that he wasn't fully recognized for how good he was during the time he was alive. He should be in the freaking Hall of Fame, and he's not, and it's really frustrating. But hopefully that will be rectified in the near future. Um, but yeah, just... You know, R.I.P. Dick Allen. What a what a legend. What an absolute legend. Well, and the worst part was was they were going to vote and probably vote him into the Hall of Fame this week, and it got postponed due to COVID. So, and I think that's you know a good wake up call that just honor the the legends. Just don't wait. Like, what's taking so long? Yeah, it should take fifty years for these guys to get into the hall of fame for sure. exactly and it's like the same thing with the will ponds and the steaver statue like what are you waiting for it and then by the time you, you wake up it's it's too late and right. so it's just it was it was just a tragic tragic thing that you know he'll never say his name in the hall of fame yeah and it's just like this is you know this is the thing that we've been talking about in baseball for quite some time, that they don't do the best job at marketing their stars, and that's been true for almost baseball's entire existence, and this is an example of that. And just like the Mets haven't, you know, been quick enough to properly honor their history, it's been a trend in baseball as well. And, like, I don't know, like, obviously I'm not a person that's like, let everyone into the Hall of Fame, because then obviously you dilute the meaning of it entirely, but I would like to see a more inclusive Hall of Fame than the current um, system that they have, and I think it's slowly changing. I think that's slowly changing, but it didn't change fast enough for Dick Allen, unfortunately, Um, which is sad. Um, I was going to say, and it's just been a tough year for Hall of Famers in general. Like, we've lost so many of the greats this year. Mm -hmm. It's just... Mm. It's just been a tough year. And Tom Seaver in our in our, in our history, and you know that was that yeah. was a really painful loss um, for for Mets fans because that's the franchise. That's that's the most iconic Met that ever lived. Um, and I I will be glad to see that statue finally unveiled properly um, because he deserves it. Um, yeah, hopefully a, his family can mm-hmm. be there at least. Yes. 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 Exactly. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge Dick Allen on the podcast, absolute legend, hopefully soon to be Hall of Famer. Um, may he rest in peace. Um, but in the meantime, we are going to finish the show like we always do with walk-off wins where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise. Elizabeth, what is your walk-off win? 
Um, well, first of all, besides you guys uh, inviting me on the podcast, thanks again for that. Um, We're happy to have you here. Thanks. Um, yeah, I guess a walk-off win for me would be... Hmm, I know I should have thought of this in advance. Um, my family okay, finished... <laughs> we Sorry. just finished watching season four of The Crown recently, which... Um, Excellent show oh, on Netflix. Uh, Kelly Ann has takes. <laughs> I'm sure. I do I'm sure. have it's takes. It's definitely been controversial, but I I really enjoyed that. Um, I haven't actually watched the first three seasons, though. My my parents were watching it, and then I came back. I came home <laughs> to quarantine, like, home for the holidays uh, around Thanksgiving, and I just watched season four with them. So I'm going to go back and watch the first three. So Wait, that was fun. The, the Diana Wait. season? Yes. Okay. And yeah. I will, the actress playing Diana is fantastic, as is the actor playing Charles. But again, I much prefer the first two seasons. But that's me. Yeah. I, well, jury's still out for me, so I'll have to, <laughs> I'll make that judgment. But, um, but yeah, no, that was fun. Um, yeah, it's been nice. I guess it's silver lining. You know, normally I'm not home necessarily through the entire month of December, but I, um, I came home for Thanksgiving. And since I'm still, you know, working from home, I'm just staying through the holidays. My sisters are both home from school. So it's been nice getting some extra family time around the holidays. I would say more so than even watching The Crown, being around um, with my family for this whole month uh, will be really nice. So so that's pro- that's my bigger, more important walk-off win, I guess, for the week. That is lovely. Um, that's fantastic. I guess, I guess I will actually go next since my walk-off win is also um, pop culture TV related but it's it's um it's two it's two different forms of media that have made me happy recently in consuming and one of them is a tv show um it is also a british tv show um it is not it, the the tv show is british but it is about ireland um and it is dairy girls um i watched dairy mm. girls on netflix recently michael and i watched it. it's only two seasons and it's like six episodes a season so it's like really quick binge um I loved it it's it's been my favorite show since probably since the final season of BoJack Horseman probably which is like my favorite show of all time um it's hilarious it's witty it's heartwarming it's earnest oh it's all the things I just can't recommend Dairy Girls enough on Netflix especially if you like like British style humor um you'll really enjoy Dairy Girls um it's set in Northern Ireland during the Troubles um and it's about teenage girls going to school and having like you know it's kind of the idea of it is that they have like you know normal teenage lives with normal teenage drama against the backdrop of this like political turmoil which is kind of takes Mm -hmm. a backseat to like their normal you know like going to prom and finding a date for prom and like all these like but all of it is like hilarious and hilarity ensues and I just love Dairy Girls so can't recommend that enough but um the other thing uh that I consumed lately that is making me happy um is Frederick Bachman's latest novel Anxious People um I'm so still, I'm like, I'm still waiting for it. Oh no! Yeah, so I'm like almost finished with it. So like, I'm not gonna spoil it uh, because obviously mm. people have yet to read it. Um, but I'm almost done with it. I'm like 30 pages away from the end, and I, I cannot love it more. I am obsessed with Frederick Bachman. He's my favorite author right now, and I just everything he writes is gold. And I just freaking love this book so much. And I'm gonna give it five stars on Goodreads, and I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> So, yeah, it's so good. (laughs) Everyone read Frederick Bachman's work if you haven't. Um, He's a Swedish author. 
He wrote um, A Man Called Uva. He wrote Beartown and its sequel. Um, and yeah, and apparently there's a third Beartown coming out, which is like, ah. I'm so excited. Um, so it's so good. Um, yeah, he's just so great. I, I'm obsessed with his work. So yeah, I read a really good book and watched a really good TV show recently. So that's my long off win. Um, Kellyanne Healy, what is your walk-off win for this week? Yes, perfect segue, because mine was just, I have been able to read more in general. Yay! I finally have a nice work-life balance at the moment, barely, but it's there. Um, so I've just been able to do more leisure reading, which is making me really happy. I don't have a particular, like, book that I liked. What have I read? I don't even remember what I've read. Because I, because I do so, because I'm... Elizabeth, I'm also like a children's librarian, so mm-hmm. I just do a lot of reading for my job. Most mm-hmm. of kids' books, obviously, but what have I read recently? I just finished, um, oh my god, the Ar- the Archkamp-Shamsky novel, I mean novel, listen to me, um, book about the 69 Mets after the miracle. Oh my god, I could Ah, yes. So that was, uh, I liked it, but was not my favorite. Um... What else did I read? I can't remember. I've just done a lot more reading lately. That's so we'll nice. leave it at that. that yeah. Reading we'll books is like up. one. I mean, like, it's nice because like during, even though like I spend the entire winter just like waiting for baseball to come back because my life is sad and like baseball is like all I care about. So I just like look out the window and wait for it to be spring. Um, but like <laughs> it does give me the opportunity because during the baseball season, I'm like all baseball all the time. And like every night I'm watching baseball yeah. for three hours. So like I am not watching TV. I am not reading books. I am not doing much of anything besides baseball. So the winter is kind of the time where I get to like read a lot and watch a lot of TV um, and finally like catch up on all the things that everyone else has been streaming throughout the rest of the year and like making memes about that I don't understand during baseball season and I'm finally like oh yes that is a TV show I have not watched <laughs> I understand what Queen's Gambit is now I participate in society once more yeah. yeah exactly like I am now yes. a part of this, this society that we live in so like yeah so I can relate to that um, just being able to read more is kind of a, a aspect of the baseball off season in general Yes, and I actually found a novel. No, not a novel. Again, not a novel. It's nonfiction. Um, it's a graphic novel edition of it called Fault Lines in the Constitution. I highly recommend it to everybody. Ooh, I love graphic novels. Yes, and this one's this one was really great. So, Fault Good. Lines in the Constitution by Cynthia Levinson. Excellent. So. See, I just read Stuart Turton's new book. Um, he wrote Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which I recommend to everybody. Guess and what's so, coming up for me after I finish the current yes. book? So I read his new one, and it was so good, and it's, like, destroyed every other book for me again. So now I'm in, like, a reading rut because I just want to read him. And I'm like, I and I can't find anything else like him. So now I'm just, like, being pouty and not reading because I'm in a reading rut because he just ruins, like, I need to stop reading him because they're good, but then, like, he just ruins every other book for me. So That's if like Frederick Backman could just come in. I'm scared I'm going to get in a reading rut of, uh, after Anxious People, and I can't because I'm literally, one, after I finish Anxious People, I'll be one book away from my 2020 reading goal. So I have to finish no. one more book. Oh, you're close. So before the end of the month. And so like I can't get in a reading run. I have to start the next book immediately. But whatever. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I need uh, Backman to get me off my like my rut. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Read anxious people. That'll get you out of your rut. I'm sure it will. Yeah. Um so Linda, what is your walk off win for this week? 
Uh, my walk of land is, you know, very simple. Um, I decorated for the holidays and it makes me happy. <laughs> um, like I bought, you know, the cheapest like lights, like they were like $5 lights at the supermarket and there's just like little twinkly lights that of course, as soon as I put up Miss Maddie Gato went after. Um, so I had to kick her out of the room. <laughs> um, so, and then I gave her a hair tie to distract her, but, um, So, you know, it's my first place and I wanted, I wanted it to feel festive. And, um, you know, when when my friend is an artist and she's just so talented and she was selling decorations and she made this gorgeous, like, you know, it's not a wreath, but it's like the something you hang on your door. And I thought, like, I need to have that. So it's nice having like personal touches, like stuff that like my friends made. And so it's not just all like store bought stuff and just to like add those little homey touches. Um, but I'm missing a tree and I really want a tree, but I don't know how Maddie's going to react to a tree <laughs> and Maddie. if it's going to end up on the floor. <laughs> so we're. Or is Maddie going to be an ornament? Yeah, that that's also a big concern. <laughs> um, so. I'm still debating. A living ornament. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll get a tree, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I was gonna say, can day. you make a book tree? Well, we do at work. They oh, make a book tree so, at work. Yes, and they always come out really nice. Yes. Uh, they 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 were debating about doing it this year. Oh, but I was like, no, you have to make a book tree. We do it every year. We need to be festive. So yeah. I kind of forced them to make a book tree at work. Good. Um, but yeah, I need something. It's like the perfect spot for it, and it's bare. And I want a Book tree there. Tree. Book yeah. tree. Sorry. So yeah, <laughs> I and like... I bought an ornament at Target saying "A new home for the holidays, 2020," because I wanted to document that I was in like my new home. So I was like, I needed some place to hang this. If no, I ha- what I recommend because like here's what I did because I. In Baltimore, I just never got a tree because I just never felt the need to because I was always at my parents' house for Christmas. And so I was like, eh, you know, like they have a tree, so it's fine. We, like, my roommate and I, when I was in grad school, we usually just, like, put up a wreath on our door. Um, But this year, I was like, I don't know if I'm going anywhere for Christmas yet. I still don't know if we're going. It's, like, such a touch-and-go thing, but probably not, honestly. Um... So I was like, I want some semblance of something since, like, we're probably going to be here in this apartment. But we don't really have a good space for a full-size tree in this apartment. And so I was like, I will, alongside my window menorah, I will buy a small tabletop Christmas tree. Like a little baby. Um, oh, Michael and I are like both half Jewish. Tree. So we both celebrate Christmaca. We're two Christmaca celebrators in this apartment. Um, so I... Um, I got like a little baby from from just from Amazon. I got like a little baby tabletop Christmas tree that like comes pre-lit and everything. And it's so cute. I'm like obsessed with it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I bought ornaments, but they're like they, they look so silly and oversized on the tiny tree, even small ones, because the tree is so baby. They look so silly and oversized. <laughs> so I was like, all right, here's what I'll do instead with these ornaments that I bought. So I didn't waste my money. I have a wreath hanging on our door that's like an all year long wreath it's not a christmas wreath it's just like a wreath from home goods it's white it's not even like pine it's white um 
and I hung the ornaments on it just to make it festive. I was like, I will just hook these ornaments at various yes, places. Yes, gorgeous. On the roof. I loved it. And I was like, this looks good, damn it. So that's what you should do, Linda. <laughs> you should hook your ornament on a re- on. You should like hook it on the little sign that you have on your door. Oh yeah, maybe I could find like a spot for it, but I don't know. I feel like it's not the same without a tree. It's like not. I know my parents will have one, and you know, but you know. It's my first place. I want a tree. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame even you. like a little tiny one. Like, but I'm I'm a sucker for real trees because I've always had a real tree and I like the smell when you walk in. And... I've never had a real tree. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a cheater. Such a I'm, I'm only a half Christmas celebrator, so I I I deem that that gives me permission to half-ass it at all times. <laughs> I'm half the effort. Terrified. I'm terrified of having a real tree. Just because I forget what movie in my childhood just scarred me for life. I want to say it was Mannequin or Mannequin 2, but I don't think that's right. Did the tree but they ca- had... catch on fire? Yes, they yep. had real candles the on the tree. The Mythbusters busted that. It's real, they're really not that. Speaking of, from a family who's always had a real tree, they're really not that scary. No. <laughs> I just always, like dream of them catching on fire and i was very scared of fire as a kid i'm not anymore but you don't you don't light a match near the tree i mean you probably won't have a problem no that's (laughs) true because they had like actual in the movie they had lit candles on the tree and that seems like like a bad idea to do that as long as you don't do something next to the tree and you should be okay it won't just magically catch fire out of nowhere no the mythbusters tried very hard to light it on fire with christmas lights like they just wrapped like the driest tree you could possibly imagine in like those really like big like the Mm -hmm. old school lights and they just wrapped the entire tree and they like short-circuited it on purpose and stuff yeah, oh and like God. they said, as long as it doesn't spark, you're fine. And that's the issue. Is there's you still have... a chance that it sparks. But that's only if you have like too many things plugged in. <laughs> or your tree is completely dried out, which most yeah. trees won't be. Yeah, you but have to water your tree. The will not cause a tree fire. It'll <sighs> be fine. None of us are lighting our trees on fire. It's okay. No. Um, <laughs> no. no. That should I, be the I, podcast title. None of us are lighting none our of trees. Our tree's on fire. Yes. But on purpose, please. <laughs> while, while you are waiting for your, while you are decorating your Christmas tree or while you are waiting for your Christmas tree or your menorah and not setting things on fire, um, <laughs> you can go to AmazingAvenue.com. <laughs> I'm the queen of segues. Um, you could go to AmazingAvenue.com. God, you're like, oh, mockery. I'm so good. Um, and check out all of our fantastic content. I just ran an article today about the Mets' biggest needs heading into the winter meetings, which we kind of talked about during the podcast, um, but that's in more detail, so you can check that out, along with all of our other, like, up-to-the-minute uh, breaking news-type content, other, like, winter meetings, off-season content, on your always as always, your daily morning news post. You can find Elizabeth over at Rising Apple. Um, you should check out all of their stuff as well. We always love to shout out our sister blogs. As as Trevor May t- said, we are the most overcovered team in like all of baseball. So just <laughs> very saturated. Yeah. There is no shortage of Mets content out there for you folks. Um, and Elizabeth, where can our listeners find you on the internet and the social medias? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, unsurprisingly at nymfan97 on Twitter. Um, yeah, so that's where I post most of my baseball stuff. I share all my articles on there as well as other 
commentary about the Mets and sports happening. So, so yeah, that's where you find. That's where you'll find me. Awesome. You can follow Elizabeth. You can follow Rising Apple. You can follow Amazing Avenue on all the social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servich. You can find Kellyanne Healy in the comments section at Amazing Avenue moderating all of you crazy folks, so don't do anything weird. <laughs> uh, uh, no, do stuff weird. Just don't break the guidelines. True. I get very do mad. weird stuff. Also, just don't, don't break talk the rules. About sandwiches. Don't break the rules. Um, don't so, talk yeah. about sandwiches and hot dogs either. <laughs> Read Elizabeth's writing. Follow Elizabeth on all the social medias. Follow us on all the social medias. Check us out on AmazingAvenue.com. Uh, rate and review the podcast um, and subscribe to it. It really helps people find the show. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Check out all of our suite of shows at Amazing Avenue Audio. They're all fantastic. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasting. See you guys in a couple of weeks and happy holidays. Happy holidays.